This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Nehemiah chapter 3. We've been working through the book of Nehemiah as sort of a spiritual template and metaphor for our everyday lives. Last week, we talked about the need to have our minds renewed. How many of you guys were here last week? Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be what? Transformed through the renewal of your mind. And we talked about the need to renew the walls and the gates of our minds. And so we've been using Nehemiah as a, as a living spiritual template for our lives and looking at the way that he responded to the work in front of him as a call and invitation for us to do the same in our own hearts and minds. And tonight we're gonna talk about what it looks like to care for the condition of your soul. Say, my soul. God is invested in your soul. He's invested in wanting to see things go well within your soul. And tonight we're going to continue with this story and look at it through the lens of our soul. So if you're there in Nehemiah 3, say, I'm there, Pastor Jay. That was almost convincing, but we're going to do it together. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screen. Let's go to that first slide. It says this in verse 1, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. And they consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. These are fun names, by the way. And if you haven't had any children yet, these might be uh, some good options for you in the future. <laughs> Zakur and Imri. Uh, and Hananel. Those are, uh, those are fun to say. And then verse three, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate and they laid its beams and set its doors and its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakos, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Banna, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now we're going to stop right there because Pastor Jason is probably going to murder the pronunciation of the rest of these names on here. But if you were to go on reading chapter three of Nehemiah, you're going to see the names of people and clans who rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, who, who aided in the work of rebuilding the wall of the city. And you see their individual contribution that they made as a family. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to skip down to verse 13. And here's what it says. And Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Say its doors, its bolts, its bars. And they repaired a thousand cubits of the wall. A thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Nehemiah and it's your first time with us tonight, let me just bring you up to speed. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia and he received news from his friends and brothers in Jerusalem that the state of the city was in ruins, that it was in peril and it needed to be rebuilt. And God awakens within the spirit of Nehemiah the desire to go back and build it, to rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates. And so first he prays and he fasts and he consecrates his work to the Lord. And then he goes back to Jerusalem and by night starts inspecting the damage. And he's looking at all the gaps in the wall and all the areas where there's been issues and where the gates were destroyed by fire. And he's taking inventory of all the problems 
and all the stuff that's awry. And then he calls his fellow Jews to arise and rebuild, to arise and return to the Lord with all their heart, to strengthen their work for the hand, to strengthen their hands for the work of the Lord and to rebuild. And so here they are in chapter three, just three chapters in, looking at and repairing the condition of the walls. And it's interesting to me that verse 13 includes all of these various details about the condition of their, we could call it outer life. Doors, bolts, bars, and a thousand cubits of the wall. There's extreme precision in the amount of detail that they're including here in this story. They're taking account of every aspect of the condition of the city. And it has me wondering, as we press this metaphor, as we look at the story of Nehemiah and we look at our own lives, it has me wondering if you and I are doing the same. Are we taking inventory of every aspect of our inner life? Are we attending to our own souls with precision and with a commitment to detail? He says a thousand cubits of the wall. Someone had to get out there and measure that. And someone thought it was necessary to include that in the story. And I think it's because of this reason. The details matter to God. It's not the devil who's in the details. Come on. It's the Lord who's in the details. And what I feel like the Lord wants to say to us tonight is that he's invested in you. He's invested in every detail of your life. He knows the amount of hairs that are on your head, Mike, and on your chin. He's invested in all of the things that you care about. He cares about, as a father cares about his children. Now I have three children and I'm deeply concerned about the things they're concerned about. My daughter right now is super into art. She's heavily invested in growing as an artist and I love it and I'm invested in it. And I come into her room and I knock on the door and I'm like, what are you working on today? And she opens up her amazing journal, this awesome little book that she keeps with all of her creations and she shows me the stuff that she's working on and the detail of it and each intricacy of all the things that she's drawing and illustrating and dreaming and envisioning. And as a father, I'm doing my best to try to be involved in every detail of it, as much as she'll allow me to be. My boys, you know, they're, they're getting into jujitsu right now. My youngest, Keaton, just started jujitsu this week, and he was excited and all fired up, you know, just to get into the aspects of this martial art. And he was all about the details, and he was showing me all of his moves and all this stuff that he's learning. And I'm excited and invested in getting into the details of that with him. And same with my other son, Liam, who's super into sports and athletics. And so as a father, I'm invested in the details. The details matter. And for some of you, you grew up in a religious environment that, that wanted you or asked you to acquiesce to its religious demands. And it gave you a picture of a heavenly father who's absent and or angry and or disconnected from your life. And I'm here to say tonight that that couldn't be any further from the truth because we serve a God, a living God who, like a good father, is invested in our lives and he cares about the details in the same way that Nehemiah and his friends here care about the details of what happened within the city of Jerusalem. Now, I realize that in order to stretch this metaphor and to make this work, there's aspects of this that aren't going to be a perfect match or analogy for what I'm going to talk about tonight, but I still believe that the Lord cares about the details. He cares about the details. What if you and I, now to shift gears, were to take that same approach 
toward caring about the details of our spirit life. I'm not just talking about the time that we spend together on Sunday nights, although this is awesome. And this is something that we look forward to each and every week, to gather together, to experience God's presence in a fresh and living way. Praise the Lord. But what about Monday through Saturday? What about when it's just you and the Lord in your car driving down I-15 and you're swerving out of the way of all the crazy drivers, (laughs) trying to keep your car on the road? What about when you wake up in the morning and you're rushing to get to work because you forgot to set your alarm or you hit the snooze too many times? Are you being intentional in the moments that matter most with your time with Jesus? And that's where I really want to focus our time tonight, to be builders of, to be caretakers of our souls, of the condition of our souls, to not just inspect our souls, but to be people that build up and be good stewards of what God has given us and entrusted us as sons and daughters of the King. So what if you and I were just as intentional in caring for our own souls in the way that Nehemiah here and his friends were in caring for the walls and gates? And what if I told you it's possible to do so by spending more time with Jesus? By spending more time with Jesus. This week we had our night of worship and it was really great to see a lot of you who came out for that. And last week I talked about the desire and the the need for us to learn how to spend more time with the Lord and to bathe in his presence and to enjoy his goodness. I believe that God the Father looks forward to spending more time with you each and every day than you do spending time with him. But the invitation is for you and I to encounter a loving father who's already waiting for us in the place where he wants to spend time with us. He's already there with his cup of coffee, just ready for you to receive him into your life. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about the soul. And I'm going to talk about what it means to care for your soul by spending more time with Jesus, by spending more time with God. First, let's talk about the soul. What is the soul? In Hebrew, the word for soul is the word nefesh. Say nefesh. And it means living being or God-breathed being. Additionally, and as I've taught on this in the past, we know that God wants things to be well in our souls. He wants things to go well within our souls. In the book of 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, the apostle John prays this prayer. He says, beloved, I pray that all may do what? Go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your what? With your soul. One of my favorite hymns of all time is It Is Well With My Soul. Do you guys know the story behind that hymn? It's an amazing story. The gentleman who wrote that song had lost his family at sea. They all, the, the ship wrecked and everybody drowned. And out of that pain, out of that trial and out of that suffering, he pens one of the greatest hymns of all time, It Is Well With My Soul. John here speaking to his little church says, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So we know that God wants us to prosper and to be in health. And that means that he wants us to have a healthy soul. So how do we do that? How do we care for our souls? Well, the simple answer, and I've already given it to you, is by spending more time with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about our souls, about spending time with him and John chapter 15, verses one through five. He says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he does what? He takes it away. 
And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear what? More fruit. God wants your life to bear more fruit. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever, say whoever. That means every one of us qualifies for this. Thank you, Jesus. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So as it pertains to health and fruitfulness, we know from scripture that it is impossible to have a healthy soul apart from Christ. It is impossible to bear fruit apart from Christ. It's impossible to do life apart from Christ. As we look at this divine invitation from God, what is Jesus asking of us? He's asking of us, he's inviting us to abide. The word abide here means to remain with. It's the picture of one who sits down and rests a while. Don't you just love that? Jesus is inviting us to sit with him, to spend time with him, to rest with him. And I believe that it is in our abiding and our remaining with Jesus that we become truly healthy. Consequently, it's in our lack of abiding and remaining with Jesus that brings about all the stress and anxiety and pain and worry and trouble that we experience in life. The choice is ours to remain with Christ or to try to do life apart from him. And Jesus says, apart from me, guess what? That ain't going to work. You can do nothing. So in searching the scriptures, as I hope that you do and I have, and in listening to these words of Jesus tonight, I want to give us and focus in on four, say four, four key practices or keys that I believe will help you care for your soul. Are you ready tonight? Are you with me? All right. I want to make this super practical because I recognize that many of us just need some practical help in order to do this. Number one, the first practice that I want to focus on and caring for your soul is this. It's learning to slow down. It's receiving the gift of not hurrying. How many of you would say that you're really good at going slow? A couple hands. How many of you would say that you got your PhD in going fast and moving as quickly as you can? I want you to listen to this quote. In his book entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, author and pastor John Mark Comer includes this great quote from pastor and theologian John Ortberg. Maybe you've heard of him, but John says this about hurrying, and I love this. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Jesus wants to give us the gift of not being in a hurry. We see this in Jesus speaking with Martha about her need to hustle and hurry. He says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are so anxious and troubled about many things. Any of you guys relate to that? You ever feel burdened with anxiety? 
You feel a little troubled by, by life? So put yourself in that story. I want you to cross out Martha and say Jason, Jason, or Chrissy, Chrissy. Put yourself into the story. But the Lord answered him, Jason, Jason, you are so anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. She has chosen the good or the better portion, which will not be, a taken, which will not be taken away from her, speaking of Mary and her desire to do what? to slow down, to receive the gift of not being in a hurry. And what does she do? She sits down at the feet of Jesus. She abides with Jesus and she worships him. Jesus says, this is the better thing. Not all the busyness, not all the anxiety, not all the anxious movement and motion, but the sitting down and the resting with Jesus. Walter Adams was a man who was deeply influential in the life of a little-known author named C.S. Lewis. And I want you to hear his words to C.S. Lewis. He remarked once, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Can I tell you that our culture has bought into the lie that you need to be in a hurry in order to advance God's purpose for your life, in order to increase your station or status or wealth, you've got to move quickly and fastly. You've got to be willing to barrel through whatever's in front of you. This is the terminology we use today, hustle and grind. Anybody get on Instagram and encounter people who are hashtag all about that hustle? And most of the time, they haven't really built anything. They're just trying to tell you and I how to do life, right? They're trying to grind it out. I don't know what it is right now with this fascination that we have with moving fast, but I think it's robbing us of the gift of not being in a hurry, of being able to slow down and spend time with Jesus. When you think about the times that you have hurried, let me ask you this, did it ever end up well? Not typically. What about when you took time and went slowly? What about when you took the time to be patient? John Mark Comer, the same author that I already referenced, uses this phrase, and I've sort of adopted it lately, and it's this, beware the tyranny of the urgent. Beware the tyranny of the urgent. What is he saying? What does that mean? He's, he's saying that not everything in your life that comes across as urgent is actually important or significant. Sometimes it bears the appearance of being important or significant when reality it's robbing us of the kind of life that Jesus is inviting us to step into. And that's a slow, unhurried pace of living. Now, when you're younger, it's really hard. You guys, I get to turn 40 next month. So technically, I'm crossing, I'm crossing over that threshold, all right? So now I get to relate to all the old ones in the room, all the seasoned ones in the room, okay? <laughs> slow, unhurried pace. Come on, you older ones, you seasoned ones. You've been doing life a little longer, right? Wouldn't you agree that there's some wisdom in this? Wouldn't you agree that there's some, some wonder and beauty and life in this? I remember when I thought 40 was like really old. Any of you, any of you young people still there? You're like, man, 40 is ancient. And now I'm going to return 40 and now I'm like, 60 is ancient. 
And then for you, for you 60-somethings, now you're looking at 80 and you're like, 80 is ancient, right? And then you're going to get 80 and you're going to be like, 100 is ancient. So I, I read this news story about this man who, t- who just passed away uh, this week. He was 108 years old. Could you imagine the kind of stories that he had? The Great Depression, a couple of world wars. Oh my gosh, I mean, the list goes on and on, right? No TV, no internet. All the uh, 20-somethings are like, no internet? What do you mean? <laughs> you used to have to do this where you dial. Remember that? Oh, that was fun. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I still do that. <laughs> Jesus invites us to not walk in such a hurry, to not be in such a rush. And I, f- I feel that we'll miss things, you guys, if we're in such a rush to get to the next thing. He wants us to be aware of the tyranny of the urgent. Have you ever stopped to identify what I like to call time suckers? Those things that just kind of suck up all your time, that waste your time? Uh, for many of you, it's Netflix or Hulu or, or Instagram or Facebook where you get your screen time reports and you look and you're like, I was on social media for how many hours this week? Just flipping through people's stuff. We have to be willing to slow down and accept the gift of not hurrying. And that's the gift that Jesus wants us to grab a hold of first. So number one today, we need to slow down and receive the gift of not hurrying. Number two, we need to learn how to receive his love. Next slide, Liam. Receive God's love. This is the gift of being loved. And I would say there's a big difference between knowing that you're loved and being loved. Like intellectually, most of you in this room know that God loves you. Would you agree with that statement? But how many times do you stop throughout the day to allow God to love you? Just to allow his love to pour over your soul. Hard to do when you're in a hurry, right? That's because love and hurry are incompatible. To receive love is to yield to love. What does it mean to yield to love? Here's the picture that I want us to work with tonight. It's like two people that end up at an intersection at the same time. Have you ever done this where you get to a four-way stop sign and you're both sitting there at the same time and you're like, no, you go. No, you go. No, you go. And then, you're, and then you start to inch forward and then they start to inch forward. So then you hit your brakes and then they hit their brakes and you're in this constant like tug and pull of like, who's going to go first? Can I tell you something? There's so much value in learning how to yield to God's love. What does that mean? It means saying, God, you go first. Here's the cool part. He has gone first. He has what? First loved us. Listen to what 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says. We love, we love because he first loved us. We love, our response to love is because he went first. And so to receive this love, to experience this love, to encounter this love, we essentially need to do this each and every day. Lord, it's your move. Can I tell you how freeing that is? As a child, when my kids just allow me to love them, not with pretense, not with performance, not with merit or works, but when they're just willing to just let dad love on them. It's getting harder now that they're becoming teenagers for them to let me hug them and kiss them. Like when they were toddlers, they were just like all up in my business. Like, daddy, give me love. And my daughter would jump up on my lap and like just rub her face on my face. And she thought it was fun to feel my beard scratching up on her. And she would tickle and laugh and all that. Not so much as a 13-year-old, you guys. Not as cool anymore. 
my other son who's in the back working tonight, same thing. I remember when he'd be like, dad, you know, but there's, you guys ask parents, you remember that moment when your kids kind of stopped kissing you on the mouth? You're like too cool now, right? As a kid. What if we were to assume the posture of a child and we just enjoyed receiving the father's love? Just allowing him to love us. This is what Jesus says in John 15, verse nine, the slide before. He says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. It's the heartbeat of God, you guys, to experience the love of God in Christ Jesus through the father. Part of the way that we receive this is by understanding that God's love has nothing to do with our performance. It has nothing to do with our works. In fact, this is offensive to our desire to try and merit God's love and approval by means of our works. When we do that, what are we trying to do? We're trying to control God. And you don't love somebody to control them. You don't love somebody to control them. That's not love, that's abuse. Some of you have experienced abuse disguised as love and control, and that's not what God invites us to. Some of you experienced real hurt because someone in the name of love tried to control you and manipulate you and get what they wanted from you. But what is love? Love is not self-seeking. It's not self-serving. It's patient. It's kind. Come on, it forgives. For some of you, you've been holding on to unforgiveness in your heart and it's robbing you from receiving God's love today. How do I know this? Because when I pray with people, oftentimes they're dealing with uh, an issue in their, their body or maybe they're not receiving healing. Sometimes it's because they, there's a root of bitterness at work within their soul. And that root of bitterness is choking out the ability for God's love to flow into that area of their life. That's why many times when I, when I pray for people, I'll first say, is there anybody that you need to forgive? A lot of times we, we rush to the altar and we're like, all right, God, heal me. But we're still mad at like six people that we haven't chosen to forgive from 20 years ago because they said something stupid in an email or a comment online. We gotta be people that what? Receive love so that we can extend love. What did I say last week? God wants you and I to be a conduit through which his presence and his power and his love and his goodness and his grace can flow. Some of you have been hurt by others. And so because you've been hurt, you've held on to that hurt and you've weaponized it. And then now you're hurting others out of that place of hurt. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. You think that by holding on to that hurt, it makes you strong when in reality, it just makes you toxic. So what's the invitation for you tonight? It's to receive God's love. It's to let the love of the father pour over you. Why? Because there was a time at which you were his enemy, where you were an enemy to the cross. Bible says, while we were yet sinners and hostile to the things of God, Jesus Christ died for us. He died to take on your worst of your worst of your worst before you even recognized him as Lord and Savior. He already did the work to establish the mode and the model through which love could come and could flow. So one of the ways that I think we need, to, we need to care for our soul, you guys, and rebuild this area of our life is by receiving love, by receiving the gift of being loved. Number three today, I like this one a lot. Number three, we need to rest well. Rest well. One of the ways that we care for our souls and rebuild this part of our life is by receiving the gift of Sabbath. Say Sabbath. Sabbath, my translation, is the way that God has hardwired you for rest and to refrain from work. We see it in the, in the creation account in Genesis, don't we? On the seventh day, God did what? He rested from his work. He refrained from his labor. Here's the tricky part about our culture today. We live in the West, and here in the West, we esteem 
the hustle. We esteem the grind. We esteem the work. And there's some, there's some good things about, about developing a good and healthy work ethic. But if you never can turn off that switch and rest, there's something wrong. And for many of us, we end up operating from a place of burnout and exhaustion, and we have no energy and nothing to give others because we don't know how to rest well. And resting isn't just about taking a nap on a Sunday afternoon, although praise God for naps on a Sunday afternoon. Thank you, Lord. But it's not just about physical sleep. It's about rest for your soul. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are what? Heavy laden. I think that many of us right now, even in 2022, but over the past few years, have become very heavy laden. When I speak to people, a lot of times what I sense from them is that things are heavy. There's just a heaviness, right? You just feel this weight on people. And one of the best gifts that you and I as believers can do is give people permission to cast off those weights, to become unburdened. And this is the invitation from Jesus. Come to me and I will what? Give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do life according to the way that I want you to do life. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. True rest begins when you and I make the decision to come to Jesus. To spend less time worrying about things and more time at his feet. Resting in him. Resting in every word that he's spoken over your life. Resting in the promises of God for your life. That when you rest, that when you come to him, you're going to find rest for your soul. Sabbath is practicing this way that God has hardwired you and I already to exist within this world. He's already hardwired your soul for it. So the real question is, do you embrace the rest now or do you die early and embrace the rest then? (laughs) Many people get cut off from reaching their potential because they don't know how to do this. They don't know how to rest in Jesus. And for some of you, that might be a real struggle at first. One of the ways that I rest is that I go on little walks with God. I find time, I create time, I order my days in such a way that I can get outside and spend some time with Jesus. Can I tell you that resting isn't just about inactivity? Sometimes it's about doing the things that replenish your soul and that bring rest back into your life. For me, it's taking a walk outside and being able to just pray and spend time with God. Maybe for you, that could be going to the gym. Maybe that could be taking a nap. Come on, Jesus likes naps. Jesus took a nap in the middle of a storm, so I think Jesus is okay with naps. Maybe that's you just ceasing from your work a little bit more, turning off the switch, maybe turning off the entertainment, just getting outdoors. for I don't know whatever that looks like for you, but embrace this gift of Sabbath. How are you doing in this department? Have you stopped to check? How am I doing in the rest department? Or do you constantly feel anxious, busy, frustrated? Jesus says, come to me. There's the promise, you guys. He doesn't want it to be complicated. He doesn't need you to read a book about 32 keys to the spirit life. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. 
oh, I, I hope that, that somebody here tonight grabs a hold of this revelation. Some of you are like, I don't know how to do that. Ask God to help you and then take a few moments each and every day to rest. Maybe it's just a, a quick break from work where you step outside for a moment. Maybe you turn off the computer for a second. Maybe you put down your phone and turn off your phone for a second. There's so many different practices and ways, and I don't want to get into that because the Spirit will lead you in what works for you. But I can tell you there is so much benefit when we learn how to rest. So we need to rest well. And then fourthly and finally today, we need to practice some healthy habits. We need to practice some healthy habits. Listen, and and let's look at this next slide, Liam. It's learning the gift of self-control. This is the hard one. This is where the rubber meets the road for every human being upon this planet. Did you guys know that the word discipline shares the same root word as the word disciple? To be a disciple of Jesus means to bear forth the fruit of discipline in your life. It's actually one of the gifts and fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5. Let's read that verse together. Galatians 5 verse 16 through 24. It's a little long, but I want us to catch the spirit of this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against, they're opposed, they're at war with the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against and opposed and at war with the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Next verse. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Anybody ever feel like you don't do the things that you want to do, but it's so easy to do the stuff that you don't want to (laughs) do? Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here they are, in case any of you were wondering, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. He keeps going. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God or the life of the kingdom. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit in our life is what? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Verse 23, and gentleness and here it is, self-control. It made the list, you guys. So when you're like, I just don't have the power to do it, okay, but guess what? The spirit of Christ in you does. So when we yield to the work of the spirit, we have the ability to bear forth the fruit of self-control. And it goes on to say this, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, I want us to notice this little key phrase at the very top of this verse. Paul says this to the Galatians. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You guys, that's the promise of God for our life. But it's a conditional promise because we have to make a choice to do what? To walk according to to the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. And one of the ways that we do that, I believe, is by practicing good and healthy habits, by practicing discipline. This is the way that we're going to bear bear forth the fruit of self-control. When we choose to walk in love and bless people rather than curse them and hate them, we will bear forth the fruit of love. When we choose to walk in joy rather than get upset and mad when people dance on our parade, we will bear forth the fruit of joy. When we choose to remain 
patient and kind when we want to blow our lid and get angry and upset, we will bear forth the fruit of gentleness and self-control. All of this comes as a means of slowing down, receiving God's love, resting well, and practicing self-control. You guys, it's not complicated, but this is the design for our lives. This is how God wants you to care for your soul. Some of you are so angry and you do a really good job of hiding it. Yeah. Some of you are just so caught up in sensuality, but you just do a really good job of hiding it. Some of you are drawn to the passions and desires of the flesh when God has called you to crucify them. You guys know that the word crucify means to like nail it to the cross? It's not a pretty picture. Crucifixion is painful. This is why this is probably the hardest thing for us to do because we don't like pain. How many of you would say that you are pain adverse? <laughs> that you get a headache and it's like right to the Tylenol. <laughs> you stub your toe and it's like, you know, you're ready to like scream at your neighbor. I have kids, sometimes they leave their Legos and things out. There's nothing worse than getting out of bed at night and stepping on something sharp. Yeah. But this is the invitation to crucify, to put to death those things that want to drive us away from God and to embrace the work of the Spirit that wants to drive us toward him. Every single one of us qualifies for this, for walking by the Spirit and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. But can I tell you this? It's a daily battle. It's a daily battle. Why? Because the spirit is at war with the flesh, and the flesh is at war with the spirit. So there's, there's no point in which you exist within this beautiful little orb called earth where this isn't going to be a battle for you. But can I give you some encouragement today? Christ has overcome, and you have the spirit of Christ living in you. So guess what? you can overcome as well. If your issue is food, trust me, I can relate. But the spirit of Christ will help you overcome. If your issue is pornography, I know that's gonna be hard for some of you, but the spirit of Christ will help you overcome. If, you're, if your uh, struggle is envy, you're just constantly looking over your shoulder what other people have, it's gonna be difficult, but the spirit of God in Christ will help you overcome. If your issue is idolatry or impurity or immorality or fits of anger or divisions or dissensions or jealousy or strife, the spirit of God will help you overcome, but you have to yield to it. You have to say, God, go first in my life today. I wonder if there might be people here tonight or even watching online where you're ready to say, you know what? I've had enough of that life. I'm willing to embrace the work of the spirit. Can I encourage you? God wants to see you prevail in this more than you do. So when you feel like you get caught up in that cycle of shame because you blew it, you need to know that you have a loving father who wants you to win in this area. You know what keeps us bound? Feeling like God is mad at us, angry, and ashamed of who we are. Can I tell you, if that were the case, he wouldn't have sent his son Jesus into the world. Because he knows the things through which we're going to struggle. He is acquainted with all of our sorrows and temptations and pains and stuff that we go through. And yet without sin, he persevered and triumphed over all of it so that he can help you do the same. It might be painful when he says it's time to nail that to the cross once and for all and to stop going back to pick it up again. But can I tell you, it will get easier. It will get easier. 
the more that you begin to walk and step with the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you power to overcome. He'll give you power to say no to every temptation that the enemy throws at you. You have to make the choice to be in agreement with the Lord on that. Every day, you and I get to make agreements when we wake up. Am I going to be in alignment with my flesh or am I going to yield to the work of the Spirit? Am I going to walk according to the Spirit or gratify the desires of the flesh? So my question for us in closing is this. What agreements are you making? Are you making agreements with God's word? Are you receiving his rest? Are you willing to slow down? Are you willing to embrace his love? Or are you in a hurry to get somewhere? Or are you willing to just keep on keeping on and embrace this lie that this is the best it's ever going to get for you? Let me answer my own rhetorical question. Don't embrace that lie. God has so much more for you. The life of freedom that he has for you, though, is going to require you to make some decisions and to stick to it. I know it's hard. It's painful. But you know what? You are not alone. That's why Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, you guys. His grace is sufficient. Even in our weakness, Paul said, I prayed multiple times for that thorn to be removed from my flesh. And every time God said what? My grace is sufficient. My prayer for you guys is that you would know the sufficiency of God's grace for you, that you would know the overcoming power of the spirit at work within your life, that you would be able to say no to the desires of the flesh when they roar against you and that you would yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. So let me encourage you, keep saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Keep asking for his help. Keep praying, keep believing, keep pressing into faith, even when it's difficult, because you know what? You're going to break through and you're going to find what it is that your soul has been craving and looking for. Amen? Amen. You guys receive that tonight? Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you, God, that you have given us not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that overcomes the world. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to care for our souls, to steward well, Lord, what you've given us by slowing down and receiving your love and resting and practicing good and healthy habits. Lord, I thank you that this year would be a year marked by the bearing of much fruit, by the fruits of the Spirit, Lord God, all these things that you want to bear forth in our life. You didn't tell us to produce them. You told us to bear them. And you said that by abiding in you, we would bear forth much fruit. So Lord, I know that tonight the message is both a correction and a rebuke and a challenge to many in this room and those watching or listening online. But I also know, Lord, where you rebuke and where you challenge us, you also bring grace and strength and power to do it because you're a good father and you give us good things. So Lord, we thank you for every good and perfect gift that you give us. We thank you for all of these ways in which you want to manifest your spirit life in us and through us. And we thank you, Father God, that you have overcome so that we too can overcome in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said amen Amen. and amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.